All right, there's still a line for coffee, but we'll get started. They'll just have to hurry. And uh, good morning. Good to have you here today, front center. Very good, very good. And uh, once again, uh, happy Mother's Day to you moms. You know, Mother's Day, it's really like one of the most awesome holidays, isn't it? Because, yeah, yeah, you're just saying, right. Because it's all spelled out for you. I mean, it's just so abundantly clear, Mother's Day. There's like this whole system and all the expectations, they're nailed down, they're, they're really crystal clear and you know how to get it right. You, you know what it is. So if you li- live near your mom, you're supposed to right, take her out to lunch, right? So, you know, all the 915 people, they're already at brunch right now, right? And, and if she lives far away, then, you know, you're just supposed to give her, give her a call, right? And then you, either way, you can add to that a card or flowers, right? So it's, it's very, very simple. And you just, you, you follow that structure and then you know several things. First of all, you know that mom will be happy, Right? And then you're, you're good to go. You're free until Christmas or her birthday, whichever comes first, right? You, whatever, yeah. See, see so if you were buying into that, you, you need to talk to Marnie afterwards. She'll straighten you out. You know, that whole, that whole notion, that would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? Just think, you know, it's brunch, a card, and okay, good, in December, you know, I'm, I got a lot of freedom. It, it, it's silly. It's silly what I'm saying there, but as ridiculous as that is, turns out I think that actually people a lot of time, we, we treat God sort of in the same way. It's, it's easy to do. In fact, it's, it's kind of the, the normal thing down through history to do exactly that. Mark chapter uh, 7 is an example of that. We find this story. It says the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. <gasps> and the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they don't eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and kettles and, you know, spoons and blah, blah, and all that. Says, so the Pharisees and teachers of the law, with that perspective, asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? And Jesus pulled out both six shooters and let them have it. He, he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. Now, there's a comeback. Now, we understand, of course, that the the Pharisees' problem wasn't really washing their hands. I mean, Jesus... He wasn't anti-hygiene, and you know, so all you moms today are like freaking out. Ah, Jesus didn't want people to wash their hands. That's not really it. It really wasn't about the washing of the hands. The problem is the Pharisees had created a system of approaching God, and that system included things like washing their hands so that they could appear like they were honoring God, but inside it wasn't there. It wasn't there. Not, not inside. Now, 
that's actually a fairly normal approach to God. It's, it's fairly normal for humanity to approach God religiously. That is to have a, a system in place of kind of, we could call cosmic bartering. You know what bartering is like? It's where you take one thing and you exchange it for something else of value, you know. It's like garage sale without cash. You just, you take the box out of, you know, without the whole sale. You just take the, the box out of your garage and take it to someone else's garage, but you have to take a box of stuff back to your garage. It's, it's just exchanging stuff. That's what bartering is. And, and here we're, we're kind of trying to do it with this divine beings, giving one thing in return for another, earning favors, trying to exchange benefits with God. And of course, uh, religions have their, their ways that they observe that, their, their religious observances. Now, it's true that uh, on the outside, someone might have looked at you this morning and go, hey, they're on their way to a religious observance. They're on their way to a church service, and they're going, that's how they observe their faith. And, and they're doing their religion. And that could be true, but it doesn't have to be true. Whether it's worship attendance or, or giving an offering or prayer or fasting, those things can be religion. They can be ways of trying to barter or exchange with God, and all of that, all of that, all religion is attempting to use God. Of course, in this series, you remember that we're after what's weird. And what's weird is to approach God not from within a system, but relationally. It, it, face it, it's strange. Can you imagine? It, it, would be nor, it would be expected, I think, for people to say, Now, wait a second. Are you saying that you think that you can know and you can talk and you can interact with a divine being as though he is a a friend or a parent or a teacher like that? And I'm saying, yeah, actually, that, well done, you've got it, that's it. That's exactly what we're saying. And they'd be like, that's weird. Yeah, it's weird, but I didn't make it up. This is what God wants us to pursue with him. This is how he wants us to approach him. Now, understand that, that, uh, we need to be not devoted to the way we observe our faith, but to the person of Jesus. And we're going to use those things as a context. And, and that's true, really, in all relationships. That the way we observe them, those outward things, those are just a context for the internals of what it means to relate. So, for example, if you've you got a dating relationship, and it's a little stereotypical, but you say, okay, so there's the Friday night dinner out and a movie. We understand that the, the movie is not a relationship. The dinner out's not a relationship. It's a context for relating, right? You haven't done anything if you just go eat and see a movie. A, a, a parent and child, maybe the, the, the kids are taking mom out to brunch, you know, right even as we speak. Maybe that's where you're headed. That's not a relationship. That's a context for relating. The relating is the internal stuff. And it's the same with God. A worship service or prayer or fasting, that's not relating. That's a context for relating. It's the inside stuff. The question I have for you to consider today is, do you prefer approaching God within the confines of a religious system? You know, something that you can nail down, that you can chart out and put it into, you know, your checklist. So you can check it off 
and be done with it and move on and be free? Or are you willing to approach Jesus relationally? Relationally. To keep it weird, to actually do that with God, we're going to look at a few things that we need to to focus on. Approaching God focused on those core internal aspects. The first one is trust. Now, most of us, uh, we like to know what we need to do to succeed. Let's say you take a class, you want a really clear syllabus. You want things defined so that you know how to get an A in the class, right? Or, or maybe you shoot a little lower. How not to fail the class. You want to know what you have to do so you don't fail. And, and that's pretty reasonable. Maybe, uh, maybe it's your job. You want a clear job description. You want to know what your boss expects. What do I have to do, you know, to actually do my job well? Spell it out for me. Or maybe you have a health problem. You want your doctor to actually say, hey, here's the best stuff for you to do. Here's the best medication or the right procedure or the, or the diet that will help you the most. And we want to know that stuff because we want to, we want to be able to fix that thing. And so we go to doctors and teachers and bosses and, and we say, hey, shoot straight. Tell me what I need to do. I think that might be part of why we can so easily approach God religiously. People did this with Jesus. John chapter 6 says that some people came and they asked, what, what must we do to do the works that God requires? How do we be successful, God? What do we got to do? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. The work you need to do is to trust. Now, I think Jesus, you know, he might have played around with saying, uh, I got nothing for you. There, there is no work you can do. But he just kind of played along with this terminology and he said, well, the work you need to do actually isn't work, it's relating. You need to trust me. That's what I'm looking for. That's what God is looking for. I'm looking for you to trust me. Now, if you look in the rest of John chapter 6, you'll find that these people were really not very satisfied with the answer. Because they, you, you understand what they're looking for? They're like, tell us, just tell us 10 things not to do and six things we need to do or something. You know, even if it's several hundred things not to do. Tell us so that we know it, then we'll avoid all that, we'll check all those things off, and we'll do the things you said that we should do, and then we know we're good. Right? And Jesus is like, no. No, I'm not going to tell you that. What I want you to do is to trust me. I want faith. I want relationship, he says. Now, it is a very basic component of the Bible, when you read it and understand it, that God values trust. He values faith. Romans chapter 4 is discussing uh, that truth. And Paul says, what does, uh, what does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith, their trust, is credited as righteousness. Now, righteousness here is a really rich concept, but part of what it means is to be right with God, to be relationally connected to God, where God's saying, hey, we're good, right? It's not the whole picture, but he's saying, you know, we're good. We're, we're related. We're in a relationship. And that's part of what, what righteousness is here. Now, 
Paul uses Abraham. Abraham was the, the father of the Jewish faith. He was the great and first sort of patriarch of the Jewish faith. And Paul points people back who are trying to figure out how to relate to God back to that. He's especially thinking about early Jewish believers and, and, and Jewish people. And he says, go back to Genesis and here's what you will see. In Genesis chapter 15, Abraham received these amazing promises from God. Abraham was a, a, a really old man. He was older than everyone here in this room. And, uh, and God said, hey, I know you're an old man, but you're still going to have a child, and your family is going to become a huge nation. And it says that Abraham listened to that promise and believed it. He trusted that God would do exactly what he said, and that that belief was credited to him, his righteousness. He was right with God. He was in relationship with God. He was a friend with God. Two chapters later, in Genesis 17, God comes to Abraham and says, here's one of the observances of the Jewish faith that I want my people to observe. And he presents him with the concept of circumcision, and that was now to be a faith ritual uh, of the Jewish people. Circumcision that he did not receive, that he could not possibly have done in any way until after... He was credited with righteousness. This is Paul's argument. So it can't possibly be something Abraham did or worked. It couldn't be the observances of his faith. It was something internal. It was his trust for God that put things right. God values trust. He values faith. Now, Later in Romans 14, we get this verse, and quite frankly, if you think about it long enough, if, if you, any part of you kind of desires a system where you can be, have everything nailed down and really clear with God, this will just scare you, right? Romans 14, 23, Paul says, in fact, everything that doesn't come from faith is sin. And here we are, we're wanting everything spelled out through my day. Can I go here or not here? I, what are the right things to say and the wrong things to say, and I'll just avoid them and... And now Paul throws out there, you know, if, it, if it's not faith, it's sin. It's like it throws you into religious convulsions. Like, I can't handle that. It's because it's a relationship. I want trust. I want faith. I want you to be living in faith, a faith perspective. Trust defines the nature, the health, the success of a relationship. Without trust, a marriage is troubled. Without trust, a neighbor, just a neighbor, begins to look like an adversary. Without trust, a coworker, just the person in the next cubicle, they, they look like a rival. Without trust, a friend can become an enemy. Without trust, what does God become? Oh, not ultimately, but in our minds, in our perspective, without trusting God, what is God? I would suggest he becomes, in our minds, an idol. And we become the idolaters trying to control him, trying to get him into a system where we do things and we jump through hoops and we check off boxes so that if I pray enough, he'll have to answer the way I wanted. If I go to enough church services, then I will have earned enough favor and God will have to do something favorable for me. This is not who God is. Now, 
all the ways that we sort of observe our faith, they need to have trust infused into them. We could look at lots of different examples. We could look at prayer or fasting or Bible reading. But uh, let's take, for example, um, giving or tithing. Where I took the offering this morning, so the pressure's off. We could think about this. Fairly comfortable, right? We can breathe deep. Here's a great story. Mark chapter 12 says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Now, many rich people threw in large amounts, but a, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Now, calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put into the treasury, put more into the treasury than all the others. Huh? More? They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Now, Jesus is, is drawing a contrast, and he's pointing out a principle that we would probably readily admit, and, and everyone watching it would have, would have agreed with, and that is not all gifts are the same. They, they differ. You know, you're giving something to God. They, they come kind of, they're, they're, they're different. But what blows us away is that we've got all these fabulously wealthy, large gifts. And then we've got this really small little gift, a couple pennies. Quite frankly, in terms of the, the budget for the, for the temple, it's not going to do much. It's just not going to do much. And Jesus sees that and he calls it out and he says, you know, these gifts are way different. And which one is extraordinary to him? See, it's not the amount that made it extraordinary, is it? It was that she trusted God in extraordinary ways that he says, now that is an extraordinary gift. Look at how she's trusting God. So the way she expressed her faith was faith, was trust. She was trusting God for probably several things. One of them, she's trusting God for her own needs. Here is someone who, uh, uh, whether she's, she probably thought about it, she knew it. Sometime later that day, at the next day, at the very latest, her stomach was going to be hungry. Wasn't it? Of course it was. She's trusting God with her own needs. She's probably also trusting that God is better than anything she could possibly purchase with two coins. God, you are... What could I possibly do with this? You, you far exceed in any value anything else I could do with what I'm holding in my hand. And that is always, always true for those who trust God. So here we have this great imbalance. And it's magnified by the difference in the gifts. But, it, but it's always true that when it's infused with trust, it's the greater thing. We could look at prayer or Bible reading or sharing your, your faith with people in your oikos. What is the great prayer? Is it the, the person who uh, gets up earliest in the day? Is it the person who prays for the longest period of time or prays for the most missionaries or the most number of people? Those are all good things. I mean, someone has to get up earliest, and maybe God does want you up at two in the morning. I don't know if he does, then do it, but, but, but that's not what the great prayer is. It's, it's like this, this gift that this woman gave, and Jesus says, now that's an extraordinary gift. An extraordinary prayer, I think he would also say, is one that expresses great faith and trust. 
Or if it's not there, another extraordinary gift would be to say, God, I I trust you, but I can tell I need to trust you more. And it's a prayer that's pursuing greater trust and then expressing that greater trust. And Jesus would say, that is great prayer. Because it's relating. It's relating. It's trust. It's pursuing and expressing trust. And these are true with all the ways we observe our faith. Now, trust is so foundational in the scripture that sometimes God talks about it as the thing. There's something else he does that with, an equally important concept, and that would be love. We're we're fairly familiar with the the notion that uh, the great commandment is something that is able to sum up all the meaning of life, that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is what life is about. Now, the Pharisees, on the other hand, I think would have said, well, we love God, and we've got proof. We wash our hands. (laughs) But, of course, Jesus knew inside there wasn't anything there, and that's what we're talking about. Now, love is a broad concept, but what I'm thinking about here is is an internal heart thing. It's a treasuring of God. Psalm 16 talks about this. David says, I say to the Lord, you're my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. Now, is David saying he's poor and he has nothing in his life? No, actually he's not. But he is saying that compared to anything, God is the very best thing. He's treasuring God in his heart. And that's such a good thing for us to do. It's that kind of love. Now, in relationships, I notice that uh, the longer relationships go on, there can be at times a, a tendency to think about how we value or honor someone, how much we treasure them, becomes increasingly dependent on their behavior, on what they do, on whether they're making us happy, quite frankly. And the longer that relationship, the more we can become focused on those things with people and how they're performing in their actions. Now, people's actions absolutely do matter. What they do and how they behave, that matters, and that's important to relationships. But I think one thing that God would want to remind us is that we can't afford to only look at behavior because it is, there, there's something infused created into people that should also be part of that equation of how we value people. What he put into people should also be a part of that equation. What he says about how valuable people are. We can't lose track of that. And I think that it's important that we do that with God as well, in particular with Jesus. Now, 1 Peter 3.15 says, Now, in your hearts, you need to revere Christ as Lord. In your hearts, you need to treasure Christ. Now, Christ doesn't, like people do, have a problem with his behavior. (laughs) He doesn't let us down. He doesn't sin against us. And, And yet, we're disappointed in God at times. Now, here in this place, and we spend a little time worshiping God, and we can kind of calm down and get our focus on God, we can kind of embrace intellectually the, the, the truth that, that God doesn't actually fail. But I think most of us know that in the workings and runnings of our life through the week on a Tuesday or a Friday, that sometimes we feel disappointed 
in God. I don't like that thing he did or that thing he allowed or that thing he's not doing that I've prayed for so many times. And we feel disappointed in God. So Peter says, make sure in your hearts that you're treasuring Christ as Lord. As Lord. Not just Christ as Savior, the giver of gifts. Certainly not Christ, the one who just merely blesses you if you do enough good stuff. Right? Treasure, treasure, revere Christ as the Lord, the one who is in control, because you are not. That's the kind of love that we need for him. Now, how do we apply love to some of the things we do, you know, prayer or, or well, let's take, uh, let's take worship attendance, for example. That's something that I think, uh, not necessarily you, but, you know, a lot of people through the world, you know, like, well, we got to go to services, right? We got to go to some event. Now, why do you decide or how do you decide whether you will come here on a weekend, for example? Is it when you have enough time? When there's extra time, maybe it's guilt. Well, I come because if I didn't come, I would feel guilty. Or you feel like, uh, yeah, anyway, there's guilt. Maybe it's a habit. Well, I'm here because I'm always here. I guess I really haven't thought about why I come. I'm, uh, this is where I am on Sunday morning. Or maybe, you know, I have to tell you, not that I'll make you talk about this, but, but during the week, up in the offices, we speculate about this. Is it the weather? Like the sun went away today. Would you be here anyway if the sun was still out? If it was like yesterday, would you be here anyway? That, that's one thing we wonder. You don't have to actually answer. But we, do, but we wonder about that. Of course, you are here, so maybe it's not you that decides that way. Maybe it's, it's the people who are going to listen later online. We're talking about you. On, if you're listening online right now, we're talking about you. Is it the weather? Is it to appease someone? Maybe you're here today because it's Mother's Day. I've heard of that before. You know, we go to church with mom. Um, maybe it's uh, you, you, you're here because it's your job. Oh, wait, that's actually me. See, I had to be here today. I had to be here today. But do you understand? I can't let that be the end of the equation. Some of these things may factor into your decision, and that's okay because it's a relationship. It's not a performance, and God works with people. You know, you, you, think of someone you love a whole lot. You didn't always love them that much, and it can be that way with God, too. So God works with people, and if you have mixed motives, you know, that, that's okay. But you see, understand, I can't, I had to be here, but I can't let it stop there. And this is an opportunity. See, this is not a performance. This is not a checklist. Well, I mean, it kind of is for my job, but it cannot be only that. And, and it can't be only that for you as well. Psalm 138 says, I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. That's what we're after. And maybe you didn't come in today with all of your heart for God. But again, that's okay. It's a relationship. He's willing to take a little bit of love and say, thank you. Let's grow in that. Let's foster that. Let me encourage that. It's a relationship. It can grow in love until we're, we're, we're coming 
into the things we do, whether it's prayer or attending worship or serving Him in some way or giving an offering with all our heart. That's the goal. And God says, hey, I'll work with you. I'll work with you. All right, so there's trust and there's love. And then I have one more thing for you to think about today, and that would be unity. A little different concept. Have ever had someone say, uh, hey, we need to talk? <laughs> it's not always a good thing. Hey, we need to talk. And then they sit down, and some of the first words are, you know, it just feels like we have nothing in common anymore. Okay, that's code for we have a problem. We have a problem. Houston, <laughs> there's a problem. Um, yeah, that's, that's code. Now, it's, it's normal, I think, to think of God as tr- transcendent and, and very separate from, him, from us. Like, you know, God's big, and, and if he's there, or what you say about who he is, or I do believe he's there, but he's so, he's big, he's transcendent, he's all, he's other, he's in heaven. I just, I don't see him as a commuter, I don't see him at work, he doesn't have a job, you know, he doesn't have a mortgage, you know, just, he's something else. Now, it is true, I mean, that's, a, part, that's partly true. God, the, the, the Bible says that there is no one like our God. He is transcendent. And so it's very weird to think of God as being anything other than a being that we're just in this very fragile connection with, like maybe in a religious sense. Like, I really got to keep performing here. But that's not God's perspective. He brings something very different to the table because of what he's done. 1 Corinthians 6 says, whoever is united with the Lord, whoever has relationship with Jesus, is actually one with him in spirit. Is very connected. There's a sense of unity, of oneness, of commonality. Fellowship, that's the meaning of fellowship. You have fellowship with God. And it's because Christ has done all the work for that. Colossians 3, 3 gives us some great... Uh, ideas here. It says, since, since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. There's a bunch of things here now, uh, amazingly, because God willed it, because God planned it and designed it and wants it, that you have in common with him, that you have in common with Christ. Look at some of them. First of all, it blows us away. We celebrate it in communion. But, but uh, you share in the benefits of his death and resurrection. Now, that's weird. It happened so long ago. It was such an enormous work of God. How could I possibly have anything in common with God about the cross other than something shameful, you know? How am I connected with that? That just, it doesn't make sense, really. When I was uh, 13, I was uh, traveling with my parents, a lifetime kind of experience, and we were hopping around to a bunch of different countries visiting uh, student, former students of my father who taught uh, irrigation engineering. And so we arrived in uh, the country the island nation of Taiwan, and we hopped on a train and went out into the countryside, and we visit a construction site of a uh, dam, what was going to be, at that time, the largest uh, dam and reservoir in Taiwan. There's 
probably one bigger now because it was a long time ago, but there we were. And so we, uh, it was very interesting. We see the site. Well, actually, I, I think I just fibbed. It wasn't very interesting. I was 13. But anyway, we, we were there. And uh, so we, we see, and then we go into this, uh, into this room, and they have set up this huge banquet. And uh, there are all these Chinese men in suits with hard hats on. It was kind of this weird picture. I remember that. And then they bring out all this food, and it's Chinese food. And I'm 13, so of course, I'm starving. And so it's awesome, right? And then they seat us kind of up at this table, and we're in the place of honor. And they're all kind of looking at us, and everyone's eating. And there's this whole banquet for us, right? Now, why in the world am I sitting at this table? I know nothing about irrigation. Uh, I mean, I know my dad asked me to mow the lawn and throw a hose out there and sprinkle the lawn for a couple hours at a time and move, you know, while he's at work. Uh, uh, But I don't know how many acre feet of water it takes to grow rice on the terraces of Taiwan. I mean, I just, I, I know nothing. Can't help you guys. It's only because my dad, he does know that stuff. He's the honored guest, and I'm sitting at the table just because I'm my dad's son. It's just that simple. And you can share in the benefits of the death and resurrection of the Son of God just because you're his child. It's just that simple. And you have so much in common with them. You share in those benefits. You share in the meaning of the cross. And then notice this little phrase. This is awesome. He says that your life is now hidden with Christ in God. I love that phrase because we spend so much time worrying about our lives. I wonder what I should be. I wonder what I should do. I wonder if it'll turn out. I wonder if I'll get accepted into this school. I wonder if I'll get that job. I wonder if I should get this car. I wonder if, you know, I'll be able to pay off my mortgage. I wonder how long I'll live. I wonder if my health will hold up. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. And I pray and I pray and I pray and I'm worried about my life all the time. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Jesus is saying, I've got it. I've got this. It's tucked away with him. It is secured away with him in heaven. He's got it. He says, it's my life. Your life is my life. And my life is your life. I've got it. It's an awesome picture. Can you see him next to the throne of his father? And he's, he's like, he's holding on to our life. He's got it right there. We've got a lot in common. And we share the same purposes. The things that Christ is about, we're to be about. And when we kind of stray from that, he's like, hey, wait a second. That's not your life over there. Your life's back over here. And the stuff that I'm doing. And you share the same future. Wow. When he appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Now, that makes absolutely no sense. How much glory does Pastor Bill deserve? Eh, Nothing. Right? 
but you'll be sitting at the table because of who your dad is. It's that simple. And notice the key he says, you need to set your hearts on this thing. You have so much in common with the Lord Jesus Christ. Approach him as someone not equal to God, not crazy stuff, like you're going to become a little God or something. You know, you're still who you are, but you have so much in common with the Lord Jesus. And your life is, is aligned with him. Realize that. Focus on that. Now, how do we apply that to stuff? We, we looked at this earlier as we celebrated the Lord's Supper. You know, this comes into play when, we observe, when we're doing things like praying. When it, It's so much different to pray, isn't it? If we think, all right, you got my life, Lord, you know? We're, 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 we're like this. Now we're going to talk about my life. Compared to, oh God, I need you to do, you know, I, I need you distant, far away to try and do something a little bit into my life, even though you're not there. It's weird. This is relating. <laughs> we have so much in common. But, but the Lord's Supper, for example, I read this earlier. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. See, there you go. You were in Scripture right there. You're all sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? Yes, it is. And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Absolutely. It is. So notice this little part here at the beginning where he says, flee from idolatry. I think that's really fascinating. I think it's saying, you know, flee from religion. You don't, need to, you don't need a system to approach God. You don't need a checklist to approach God. See, do you remember that cup? Do you remember that bread, he says? You're already connected. Your life's already entwined with God. Why would you need a system to try and appease God? Why would you need to tr- treat God like some kind of idol that you could get him to do things? Do you treat people like that? Well, unfortunately, sometimes we do. But, you know, knock it off there, too. Right? You know, do, no, we don't want to do that. We want to relate to people, not manipulate them into doing things. Just don't treat God like he's carved out of stone and you could appease him and make him do something. Your life is already entwined with him. Relate to him. Trust him. Love him because you are connected to him. It's that simple. The question, though, is, is there a hunger in you for some of that religion, for some of that system, for some boxes to check, for the ability to kind of get something done and then cut loose and be free of God for a while. Yeah, God says, don't do that. Flee from that stuff. Be weird. Relate to me. Yeah, sometimes it'll feel weird. Sometimes it's going to feel less certain because like Jesus, you know, Jesus, he wouldn't give the people a list. He said, trust me. Then when we get to it, trust me. And then there will be something else new. Trust me. I'm not going to tell you everything you're going to do or need to do. Trust me. So it'll feel a little strange at times. It'll feel a little less certain, but it's life. 
It's relationship. It's your life. And Jesus says, it's my life. It's the life I have for you. Approach God relationally. Well, today, uh, we're, we're not going to finish with a song. We don't have the ability to uh, kind of pull that off. So what I'd like to do is just ask you to stand, and uh, we'll pray together, and then we'll all head to brunch, right? All right. Thank you. Stand, and uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and uh, how it challenges us. Father, I pray you would uh, give us this week a, a perspective to uh, see things that you would want us to turn away from, the, the, the approach to you that is somehow uh, just turned into principles and ideas and checklists. Help us to see who you are, Lord God, and help us to just um, pursue you as a, as a friend, as a parent, as a guide, as a teacher, as a person. We know you are, you are far above us. That your wisdom and your strength are unparalleled. But we also trust today that as you have promised and as you have said, you want to be near to us. Help us to grab onto that this week. To love you as you have desired and as you have promised that we can. Thank you. I pray you... Uh, provide for each person here what they need to be able to follow you in this today. And thank you again, Father, for moms. We just pray you would bless them greatly today. Encourage them, provide for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for being here. Have a great week. We hope to see you next